You're tuned to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcasted live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for almost 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, folks, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Good morning, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And, you know, after working and saving for decades, many Americans are looking forward to to the eventual reward of retirement. The average age of retirement for Americans is 66 years old, according to a Gallup poll. And that's up from age 60 in the 1990s. And, you know, a married couple today that is 65 years old, is expected to live into your 90s. So people are living longer and longer lives. And how much you save the environment economically that you retire into uh, and the lifestyle you want to achieve all play into into how successful you can be in retirement. Today I'm excited to welcome an old friend, Dr. Wade Fowle. Wade holds a doctorate in economics uh, and a master's degree from Princeton University. His Bachelor of Arts is uh, he has B- BA and BS degrees from the University of Iowa. He's also a, th- a professor at the American College, which is a private college that does financial education for people pursuing careers in the financial industry. He is definitely an expert, really regarded as one of the top experts in the country on retirement income and someone that I respect immensely in the field of retirement planning. So we're going to get into some of the challenges that today's retirees are facing in light of all the different things we see, inflation, market valuations, volatility, interest rates, all of those things. So good morning, Dr. Fow. It's great to have you back with us. Good morning, Jim. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been nine years almost that we've known each other. I know. It's been great. I remember meeting you in Iowa at a conference. Now, you live in uh, just north of Dallas, correct? Uh-huh. I, I did move to Dallas a few years ago. I was in Philadelphia before that and from Iowa originally. So, uh, Dr. Fowle, tell us why you decided. I mean, you have, a, you have a Ph.D. in economics. Tell us why you decided to focus your career on retirement planning specifically. It, well, it really developed from a personal interest that I had, just planning for my own uh, saving and investing and saving for retirement. But then uh, I was in economics and found economics to be really theoretical, I was looking for something more applied. And personal financial planning was never an academic field until just recently. The, the first PhD program in financial planning started in the year 2000. So I sort of gravitated towards that because it was more of an applied real-world practical use of economics and found that the kind of research I did really gelled well with being in retirement income planning. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Well, Dr. Fowle, let's, let's dive right in here. I have made the comment in the last year, several months anyway, that I think 
This may be as challenging of an environment for people to retire into as we've seen really in the modern era. We could really even go back to the early 1900s. Um, and, and we're going to get into some of the reasons why. But first off, do you agree with that comment? Uh, certainly, right. It, all the trends are leading into a direction that it just retirements are going to be more expensive or that it requires more assets to enter into retirement and be able to sustain that over the remaining lifetime. Well, let's dive into inflation first. Um, walk us through, you know, how much of what we're seeing right now, first off, how real is it in your view? And Well, let's start there. How, view, how real is inflation in your view? It was 7% in 2021. Um, but, you know, there were a few categories that were way higher than that that skewed the numbers. So what are you seeing? What is your uh, thought on where we are right now? Well, it's too soon to tell ultimately where we'll end up in terms of the, the trend of inflation. We've gotten used to a long time having low inflation and even just thinking long-term inflation rates of around 2%. That certainly wasn't always the case. The more Going back to the 1920s, inflation averaged closer to 3%. And that in the 1980s, 1970s, that's when we saw much higher inflation than that. So we kind of, for a long time, have forgotten about the impact inflation can have. And we're getting that reminder now with that 7% inflation last year. It, again, it remains to be seen. doesn't necessarily mean we're now on a trajectory where we should expect 7% inflation every year. Hopefully, we'll see that number come back down. But it, it's a reminder that maybe the, the old 2% inflation rate that's kind of been in the popular discussion for the last 10 or 15 years may have to be adjusted upward a little bit over a, for the long-term planning horizon. Wade, how much do you think the inflation is a natural offshoot of what our government needed and had to do to get through the pandemic with its stimulus and also the for the Federal Reserve? So both Congress and the Federal Reserve. How much is it is it just it was inevitable versus maybe the amount of stimulus was either too high or focused in the wrong areas that created this supply and demand imbalance? Well, yeah, I mean, it's always a, an issue of supply and demand, and I think you know, economists are still trying to tease out the implications of what all had the biggest impact, whether it's just everything that happened with the economy through the pandemic uh, in terms of jobs slowing down, job loss, and so forth, whether it's the stimulus dollars and the just more dollars chasing fewer goods. I, I don't think we have the full answer yet about that, and, and so it remains to be seen, but it's Definitely, there are factors that stem from the pandemic that led to a lot of new situations that that, that could be the source of why this may be more of a te temporary matter. It just, the Fed hopefully will get things under control and, and will not repeat the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s in terms sure. of our upcoming inflation experience. Now, the Fed has just just last week announced that, or this week, really, uh, just announced that they are going to see rate hikes soon. Um, some, have, some have estimated up to five rate hikes this year. Um, what do you think is likely, and do you think the Fed is acting too late, and do you think that raising interest rates is the way to get their arms around inflation? That's the, the tool at the disposal of the Fed to control the short-term interest rates and have that feed, feed throughout the economy. Um, historically, that's what you do. You raise interest rates when there's inflationary pressure. 
that starts to slow things down and get things back under control. And hopefully that medicine will work again. People are always worried. The interest rates got so low, especially during the pandemic. And we are, I mean, at some level, higher interest rates help savers. It hurts borrowers. And that's um, why it can have an impact on economic activity. So, I mean, any some silver lining of an, an interest rate increase would be that helps to reduce the cost of retirement because now you can earn more on your savings and your investments and, and your bond holdings. But uh, the transition can be rough because a rising interest rate environment also can lead to losses on the value of bonds, and, and people have to be careful about that. But, yeah, yeah I think the Fed still – we don't have any better solution than having the Fed use the same monetary policy tool. So, yeah, we're going to get into the whole bond environment and rising interest rates and all that. But let's, before we leave the inflation thing, talk about the impact of today's retirees uh, of inflation. I mean, we've, we've got higher inflation. We've still got very, very low interest rates. And when the Fed raises rates, that's just the overnight, you know, short-term rate. You know, how does that affect five- and ten-year rates? So talk just about the challenges for today's retirees, you know, with more of an inflationary environment. Mm -hmm. So inflation, its impact is it makes retirement more expensive because now not everyone's spending throughout retirement will necessarily grow right with inflation. But in general, a lot of expenses that people have do tend to track with inflation. And so if inflation is higher, that means uh, your spending has to go up over time, and that makes retirement more expensive. So I, I think of inflation as a, a spending shock, where I have my baseline retirement budget, here's, much, here's how much I anticipate spending, and then that might end up being wrong. I might have to spend more than that, and that's where if I built my budget around a 2 or 3% inflation rate, and inflation ends up being 4 or 5%, for example, uh, then I just have to spend a lot more than I anticipated. So it's a way that retirement, it's a spending shock. It, it makes people spend more than they had planned for in retirement. Yeah, and even with 2% inflation, I think sometimes people underestimate the impact of inflation. Ultimately, how does this affect how you should be planning for your retirement moving forward? So, you know, what the, the, the increase in interest rates on, on bond values, what about your Social Security decisions? Uh, what about choppy stock market? You know, how can you put all this together to create a plan to be successful moving forward? So we're visiting with Dr. Wade Fowle from the American College. When we come back, we'll get into all of those topics and more, so stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're visiting with Dr. Wade Fowle at the American College, and we're talking about the challenges of today's economic environment and what that might mean for you moving forward, and maybe most, most importantly, what can you be doing about it? So Dr. Fowles, as we kind of dive into this, um, let, let's talk about retirement income, because as you and I have discussed previously, uh, in the years that we've known each other, retirement is no longer about how much you have, it's about how you take what you have and turn that into predictable rising income over time. 
So let's talk about Social Security. You know, with the, the current risks and threats to retirement savings with inflation, low interest rates, and all those things, talk about the importance of Social Security election in your view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is absolutely one of the core decisions for retirees because you may be a millionaire and not realize it. The, the lifetime benefits from Social Security, if you end up living into your 80s or even into your 90s, you could be talking about a million dollars of lifetime benefits. And so when you claim your your Social Security benefits, it has a huge impact on that. Uh, people can claim their retirement benefits at any age between 62 and 70. And if you claim at 62, it, it's reduced. If you claim at 70, you get a, an increase for the delay. And when the rules for that were designed in 1983, it was meant to be fair. It didn't really matter what age you claimed. If you lived to your life expectancy, you get the same lifetime benefits. But now interest rates are lower than when those rules were made, and people are living longer than they were in 1983. It really uh, speaks to delaying, at least for the high earner in a couple towards closer to age 70, to get that most lifetime value out of Social Security. And it's inflation adjusted, which gets to this issue of if inflation is going to be higher, at least Social Security has a link to inflation in a way that other assets or investments don't have that sort of automatic leak. I know people may think the inflation rate applied to Social Security may not be the true inflation rate, but it's the only thing that is at least linked to some government measure of inflation, and that makes it all the more valuable in a higher inflation environment. So you mentioned the higher earning spouse. If you're married, the higher earning spouse delaying that benefit. Um, now, part of that, though, is can they afford to delay that benefit? Because it is very, very important that you don't gut your savings in the early years of retirement. So I want to get into that just a little bit, Wade, is the importance of how you spend and generate income in those early years. What has your research told you about the importance of that and how how that risks the long haul in retirement? Mm -hmm. Yes, that that is an issue. So suppose I'm retired already at age 62, and so I'm thinking, should I go ahead and take Social Security or should I wait until later to start it? Well, if you wait, you have to fill that gap of that missing Social Security benefit. And the question becomes, how do you fill that gap? Uh, you, you have to be careful about just taking that from a, this, like your traditional investment portfolio because the volatility, that's this whole issue in retirement with spending from a volatile investment portfolio. You have a bigger spending need early on, but that's offset later on when your Social Security benefit is 77% higher than it would have been if you claimed at 62 so you've got to fill that gap, and if your investment portfolio is not big enough to fill that gap, uh, it can be a problem. But but generally, if you have at least you know a few hundred thousand dollars of assets, it may be possible to carve out from the investment portfolio some sort of more secure, like bond, bond-like portfolio to cover the years, to, to cover that missing Social Security benefit until you get to age 70. And then there's other options too, like one of the really interesting uses of reverse mortgages could be to fill the, the gap to delay Social Security. And I, it's a Social Security delay bridge is the name of this concept for how do you cover that missing Social Security benefit if you're already retired and delaying Social Security. So a reverse mortgage could do that. Uh, carving out a bond portfolio from your investments could do that. Even maybe part-time work if people don't want to fully retire Part-time work could be a, a really important way to help support delaying Social Security benefits as well. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually seeing more and more people continuing to work part-time even after they retire. Uh, you mentioned the importance of having, st- really what you've kind of mentioned there, Wade, is having stable assets to draw from you know, in those early years. And I talk a lot about that in doing kind of a bucketed approach to income where you, you know, you live on the, the more stable investments in, the, in, the, in that, those early years and then let the risk investments go through inevitable ups and downs. Can you expand on that a little bit? Is that where you were going when you talked about, you know, either drawing from a more stable bond portfolio or setting up a reverse mortgage or part-time income? Is that where you were going with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so recently I've been writing a lot more about retirement income styles and that bucketing or time segmentation is one of the four core retirement styles that people may have where you use safer assets to cover shorter term expenses and then your growth assets like your stock investments and so forth. You you give them a window to grow before you have to spend from them and, and then you hope that they will grow before you ever have to tap into them. So that, that is a, a broader retirement, one of the four like key viable retirement strategies people might consider. And the, the Social Security Delay Bridge is really could be thought of, I mean, it's the same concept, but it could also be different. You might have a different retirement income style, but you still use that sort of bucketed approach to at least cover the uh, gap when you are delaying Social Security. Well, and on that bucketed income style, uh, which I'm a big proponent of. You know, you, Dr. Fowl, have done some research with Michael Kitsis on what you call the, you know, the, the, on the, the equity glide path. Can you walk us mm-hmm. through a little bit about what that research shows you? Sure, sure. And a little bit of context about that. If now target date funds are incredibly popular for your 401k plans and so forth. And so the, the concept is pre-retirement, when you're young, you have a higher stock allocation. As you get closer to retirement, you have a lower stock allocation. But then what do you do post-retirement? And those target date funds keep you at a low stock allocation or even re- continue to reduce your stock allocation throughout retirement. Now, this is a completely different universe of, and so the rising equity glide path concept. In the financial planning world, there's something known as the 4% rule. And it's just a rule about how much you can spend from your investments in retirement. But importantly, the original rule and all the subsequent research points in this direction. Bill Bengen, in his 1994 article that created the 4% rule, said retirees should hold 75% stocks and in no circumstances less than 50% stocks. So it's a completely different universe from target date funds. There's very few target date funds that have you anywhere close to 50% stocks. It's, It's much lower at the retirement date. And so what we talk about with that rising equity glide path idea was uh, yeah, you you need the growth if you're going to go with an investment type strategy to fund retirement, but it could make sense to have the lower stock allocation at the retirement date as a risk management strategy, because then those are the years where a market downturn can really have the biggest impact on your retirement. But then rather than keeping the low stock allocation throughout retirement, you can go ahead and gradually increase the stock allocation back towards what this financial planning research was saying, which is like have these higher stock allocations throughout retirement. So it helps manage the risk right around the retirement years, uh, the year you retire, the five years before, the five years after. That's when a market downturn can really disrupt the retirement. It's not if you're working and saving for 60 years, it's not that every year matters the same in terms of your lifetime financial outcomes. 
it's really what happens in those pivotal years around the retirement date that a market downturn can be very disruptive. And so to help manage that risk, you have a lower stock allocation at the retirement date. Just like a target date fund pre-retirement, when you're younger, you can have a higher stock allocation. But then the idea of the rising equity glide path, and it's not, this will not resonate with a lot of people, but if it does, it, it makes sense that then later in life as well is when it becomes more of a, a legacy issue and you're not as exposed to market volatility as you get older and as you, you know, you're spending from your portfolio, so then late in life, again, you can increase that stock allocation, but you, you do have it lower right around the retirement date. Okay, so the idea is you have it lower around the retirement date, and then over time in retirement, you actually increase that stock allocation over time. And I know for those of you listening, that may sound a little counterintuitive because we've all been, you know, it's all kind of ingrained that you get, you, you know, you have less and less in equities as you age. But I guess one way I could say that, Dr. Fowl, is, you know, think about this if you retire and you're at 65. And you're going to live for, let's say, 25, 27 years. So you're going to live till 90, 92 years old. You know, a big investment loss at age 67 is much more devastating than a big investment loss at 88. And the reason for that is at 67, you know, you've, if you have a big loss and a big hit to your savings, you still need that money to last you to provide income for a good 25 years. So it's much more impactful than if you lose a lot of money at age 88 and you only need your money to last another three or four years. Is that a good way to kind of communicate that, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the intuition is tough, but yeah, that was a great way to explain it. It's really just this matter of you start, if you have a big loss early on, it starts to dig a hole where to meet your spending needs, you have to spend a higher percent of what's left as the value of the portfolio goes down. And then that becomes this, kind of threshold or hurdle that your portfolio has to earn more and more just to keep up at that point. And that becomes a bigger challenge when it happens, a downturn happens earlier in the retirement period. We're visiting with Dr. Wade Fowl. He's a professor at the American College, an old friend. We go back a pretty good ways. And uh, he's very renowned in the retirement income field uh, nationally. When we come back, we're going to start talking about the challenges of rising interest rates and the challenges that presents in the bond market, and what about the stock market? And what can you be doing to increase your likelihood of success? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're here every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. You can also catch us online. You can listen to all of our shows on podcast. Go to broganfinancial.com, click on radio. You can also check us out on YouTube. We're visiting this morning with Dr. Wade Fowl. He's one of the leading experts in the country on retirement income planning. He is a professor at the American College which is a private college that uh, teaches financial professionals uh, and helps them hone their skills and give them great education on how to do a better job for their clients. Dr. Fowl, let's talk about the 60-40 portfolio. And I still, to this day, 
I see so many people, Wade, that come into my office and have 60, 40, 70, 30, meaning 60 to 70 percent in stocks or stock-based funds, whether it's mutual funds or index funds, and then they've got 30 to 40 percent in really overwhelmingly traditional U.S. bond funds. Um, and I've talked for a couple of years now that I don't think that plan is going to work very well in the future because of the interest rate environment we're in. Uh, what is your view of the 60-40 portfolio in this market environment? That sort of 60-40 portfolio, that's kind of the, the heart and soul of one of these other retirement income styles, the, the total returns approach, which is build your diversified portfolio. As you mentioned earlier, when, when Bill Bingen created this 4% rule that was the a founding article about total returns for retirement, he said 50 to 75% stocks. So a 60-40 portfolio is right in that range. But absolutely, with the low interest rate world, it's not, I mean, if you're a total returns person, the 60-40 type approach, maybe that's what resonates with you. It's just you need to change expectations to understand that when interest rates are so low, we're not going to see the same sort of historical performance that we do when we just look back at U.S. historical data and say, well, the 60-40 the portfolio always had this growth rate that would support this higher level of spending. Uh, it, well, it's not that it's impossible. It's just it's harder when interest rates are low to be able to sustain uh, a higher level of spending than what, what bonds can, can otherwise support as a starting point. Because with bonds, you can just buy bonds and know exactly how much you can spend in the future. And when interest rates are low, the, the spending that bonds will support is much lower. And, and so that makes the stock portion have to do all that much more work, which maybe it can do. And it has. Kind of, we've, had, we've seen incredible stock market performance over the past 10 to 15 years. But uh, whether or not that continues, we, we don't know. It's, past performance doesn't guarantee future performance. So, Dr. Fowl, let's talk about these retirement styles because you mentioned four and we kind of, you've mentioned a couple. So, we, we talked earlier about this bucketed income approach, which I'm a big proponent of, where you spend initially for more stable investments and let the risk investments grow to produce increasing income later on in retirement. Now, you just mentioned a total return approach. Can you explain a little bit more for our listeners, Dr. Fowl, what that means? Mm -hmm. Sure. And so this retirement uh, income styles, it's research that I did with Alex McGee just last year, and it's really the heart and soul of how I think about things now. It's not that these are new strategies, but that we can understand characteristics. So the total returns approach is characteristics these individuals have. They're comfortable relying on growth from the stock market. They, they believe in stocks for the long run, that stocks will outperform bonds. And that'll support a higher level of spending than, than bonds alone can provide. And also, they desire optionality. They don't want to constrain their decision-making at all in the future. They want to keep their options open as much as possible to make changes, to benefit from upside, to benefit from new opportunities. And so if you prefer this optionality and you're comfortable with the stock market, that's the foundation of you may want to approach retirement with this sort of total returns investment strategy, build a diversified portfolio, and take distributions from it to fund your retirement. But that brings in that sequence of return risk. I mean, when you're doing a total return, meaning uh, the way I interpret that way is you're drawing across all of your investments for income. And that means 
if the market is sharply down in those early, you know, that first three or four years of retirement, you're having to sell investments while they're down and spend that money for income because you're spending across the total spectrum. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. And if you are total returns, you you kind of minimize that concern. You do believe that stocks will give you what you need. And I think the, the way you're expressing that concern is, is sort of saying your style might be more of that bucketing, or it's also called time segmentation, which is I don't necessarily want to get it myself into a position where I have to sell stocks in the near-term future to cover a, a spending need because I'm worried the stock market might go down and hopefully it'll eventually return to it and come up to new heights. But what happens in the meantime when I'm trying to spend in retirement? And so that is a concern with the total return style that might point someone more in the direction of, of bucketing or time segmentation, which is still wanting to keep options open, but having a preference for contractual protections. And if you have bonds, there's a contractual protection there. So you think about, well, for my short-term expenses, I'll use bonds so that I don't have to worry about market volatility, so that I, I have a window that if there's a stock market downturn, I don't have to sell any stock for however many years. And then it, that will give more opportunity for the portfolio to recover. So that desire for some sort of contractual safety, but then also wanting to keep options open, not wanting to commit to anything. That's really the core preferences that we find lead into that sort of time segmentation or bucketing strategy. Yeah, another reason I like that time segmentation, Wade, is, I mean, when we look at the stock market, I mean, what we know about the stock market is that it's un the only certainty is uncertainty, and it's very volatile. So we don't know what's going to happen before it happens. We know over time we're going to go through bull market runs, and we're also going to go through bear market busts. We just don't know when they're going to happen. And I think one of the core elements of wealth management with risk investment, which is the stock market and other alternatives, is time horizon and understanding the impact of time horizon. In that, you know, when are you going to when are you going to need to pull money from a particular investment? And if it's going to be next year, if I have that in the stock market, I'm gambling because who knows where the stock market will be in a year. If I'm going to pull money in 20 years, I mean, I have a lot better likelihood of success to be in the stock market. Uh, so that right. that's that's what I'm a big proponent of. Yeah, and, and it's really, people need to find the strategy that, that speaks to them or resonates with them. And that, that's really the, the core heart of the time segmentation bucketing approach is exactly what you said. And so if that makes sense to a person, then, then that's the way to go. It's Any of these four styles are viable, and it's really about understanding which sort of approach resonates with me as an individual so that I, I then feel comfortable and I'll stick with my plan. I won't change course. I won't panic after a market downturn. And if that bucketing approach helps you to get through the market volatility, then, then it's a great approach for an individual to use. Talk about, Wade, uh, the, the, the other two retirement styles. Mm -hmm. So the other two are we call income protection and risk wrap. And the, well, the, the difference there, income protection, it's also on that safety first contractual protection side alongside the bucketing. But the other like really interesting factor that we found in doing this uh, research was this idea of optionality versus commitment. So we were talking about the two strategies so far that favor optionality, wanting to keep options open. Some people prefer to commit to something. Like if I know I can use a strategy that will work, 
that will solve for my lifetime income need, I'm comfortable committing to it and, and to really dedicating resources to that. And then I almost may feel the sense of relief that I can take this off my to-do list because I now have a strategy that will work. And so that's where income protection is. If I have a, an income gap, if there's some like core spending needs that I don't really have covered through Social Security or pensions, I might look to fill that gap through some sort of simple income annuity or other type of basic annuity to fill that gap. And then I invest on top of that for more discretionary types of goals. And that meets the characteristics of safety first and commitment. And then risk so that, graph is back to the... So, oh, well, let's, go, let's go back, Leah, let's go back to that one. So basically you're laying a foundation of stable or guaranteed income, which an income annuity would provide guaranteed income. You could use other alternatives for, for, to provide stability of income, but you're laying a foundation of stable or guaranteed income. And then you're kind of covering, would this be a good way to say it, Wade? You're covering your basic expenses. And then your risk investments are kind of the money long-term that can provide for lifestyle. Is that a good way to say that? Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. That's 100%. <laughs> okay. And then talk about risk wrap. So risk wrap is back over on the side. Well, you're still, you're in this commitment area. You feel comfortable committing to a strategy, but we're now back on the side with total returns where you have comfort with the stock market. So you're comfortable investing with an aggressive allocation, but there's other characteristics and some secondary factors. So the one is you do want to commit to a strategy, but also people in, in total returns, another characteristic that I didn't mention yet is they're more front loaders. They want to maximize their spending in early retirement to get the most enjoyment uh, when they're healthy and alive and everything else. Uh, if you're in risk graph, you're more, uh, we call it backloading. It's you're worried about outliving your money and you're worried about what happens if you're 95 and don't have anything left to spend. And so you're willing to spend less in the early years to better protect yourself in the future. And so with, even though you're comfortable with the stock market, you don't want to be fully dependent on the stock market to fund your late in life expenses. And so that's where this whole world of, there's all these other types of annuities, the variable and everything else that allow you to still invest for upside because you have these sub accounts, but it, it layers in a lifetime income protection on top of that so that you can still get that, that probability based uh, emphasis on market growth, but you have this downside protection at the same time where if the market goes down or if you live a very long time, you know that even if you outlive the underlying assets, you still have a protected lifetime income. So that's, it's the same concept as income protection where you're building a floor to cover your basics. So just the way you build that floor is going to be different. You'd look at different types of annuities that don't require that irreversible lifetime decision that give you some more flexibility and more ability to also include growth potential and step up opportunities and so forth. So I just want to mention on that note and, and get your thoughts on this way before we go to our last break. You know, if you're going to build in some guarantees or some safety nets, you know, at some point there's going to be a cost for that. So we have to kind of evaluate and balance the, the income security that can provide versus the long-term cost, which could then, you know, and, and who's going to bear that long-term cost? I mean, it may not be the retiree. It might be their family in terms of the values that they inherit. But the bottom line is there's always a trade-off, in my view, when you look at laying guarantees and stability or safety nets. So it's about balancing the, the desire for secure income or, or more income 
uh, versus maybe legacy that's left behind. Is that um, what? What do you think of that comment of weighing the the pros and cons of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's an insurance premium that is involved in this, and then that insurance premium is if you live a long time and/or you experience bad market returns, you know that you're protected and that you're you're always going to have this spending available that is guaranteed through the the annuity. But but at the same time, if you end up if the market's too great in your retirement, you might ultimately uh, leave behind a, a smaller legacy than otherwise because you were paying this insurance premium. So yes, it, that can be an issue. Yeah, so it's just a balance and a and a trade off. We're going to get to our last break, and we're going to come when we come back. We're going to ask Dr. Fowl how much does do you need to retire? Which gets back to what he's mentioned as the four percent rule. What can you safely withdraw, and is that a reasonable rule to use in today's market? So stay with us. We're visiting with Dr. Wade Fowl at the American College. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back on this sunny Saturday, but cold Saturday. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m., again from 3 to 4 p.m., My next college class is this Tuesday, the University of Tennessee Financial Survival for Retirement. In two two two-hour sessions, I cover seven key areas that I think you need to address to be successful in your retirement life. Uh, For more information, it's it's this Tuesday, it's February the 1st and the 8th, 6.30 p.m. both nights. You can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com to download a syllabus and to register, or you can call the University of Tennessee directly at 974-0150. I'll be at Pellissippi State Community College in March with a similar class. And then I'm also doing an, a one-night income class at Pellissippi uh, in April, specifically about retirement income. You can find my full list of upcoming classes. Go to broganfinancial.com and click on Classes. Today we're visiting with Dr. Wade Fowl, an old friend of mine and really one of the top experts and researchers in the country on retirement income planning. He's with the American College, has a doctorate in and a master's in, in, in economics. Uh, and Dr. Fowl, I get asked all the time and you hear people say, you know, Jim, how much money do you need do I need to retire? And as a matter of fact, I was visiting just this just last week on Halloran's after Halloran Hilton Hills afternoon radio show. And he asked me, Jim, if I want to live on $75,000 a year in retirement, how much money do I need to save? And ultimately, what we're talking about there is how much can somebody withdraw from their savings to supplement their other income in retirement? Social Security, do they have rental income? You know, whatever their other income is, do they have a pension? But how much can they draw from their savings? And you've mentioned a couple of times today the 4% rule. So walk us through, so 4%, we're, we're kind of running out of time. So basically you could withdraw 4% from your retirement savings in year one and then increase that over time to offset inflation. And that was developed in the 90s. Is the 4% rule, you mentioned these four income styles. Do you believe the 4% rule is still pretty doable with all those styles? What are your thoughts? Well, the, the 4% rule, it's the heart and soul of the total return style. 
And it has so many assumptions built into it that if you start varying the assumptions, you can get different answers. A lot of it speaks towards 4% being too high because lower interest rates, and if inflation starts picking up again, that, that can be a, a problem for the 4% rule. Uh, but at, at the other same time, one really unrealistic assumption of the 4% rule is that you never can adjust your spending. You don't have any flexibility. You play this game of chicken. If your portfolio is plummeting towards zero, you don't adjust your spending. And being able to adjust your spending has a huge positive impact in helping to reduce the, this idea of the sequence of returns risk, which is that a market downturn gets you into this irreversible cycle of, of plummeting towards zero. So if you're flexible with your spending, if you can make adjustments, it, that sort of strategy can still work. But at the same time, there's so many headwinds that just because, I mean, the first study I did was pointing out the 4% rule it worked in U.S. and Canadian historical data, but in these other 18 countries I had going back to 1900, it didn't work. And around the world, it only worked around two-thirds of the time. So I don't think people should treat the 4% rule as some sort of ironclad. Uh, it always works. It's, it's not been tested by this low interest rate world, and if inflation picks up again and stock market valuations being high, just it's, it's not – the, the concept well, and, is right. It's just that the spending rate might be lower than 4%. And Wade, that's the other thing we really haven't gotten much into, and we've just got about a minute left here, but stock market valuations are at highs, right? I mean, we're at, we're at U.S. market valuations under really almost any measurement are as, as high as they've been at any time in our history except for going into the, 20, into the 2000 dot-com bubble. So mm -hmm. um, that, that, that means market returns over the next 10 years are they likely to be more muted in our expect? And should we adjust our expectations? Based on historical data, the answer is yes. When stock market valuations are high, subsequent stock market returns over the next 10 years tend to be lower. Now, this sort of, based on what the historical data suggests, uh, has been telling us this for a long time. And for a long time, the stock market's been bucking that trend and continues to grow higher despite this, this analysis that would tell you, no, you should not expect such high returns from this valuation starting point. But that just makes valuations all the more higher, higher than they were in 1929. As you said, the only time they were higher than they are right now was right around the year 2000. And we know well, that in the year 2000, there was a downturn subsequently. So we'll, we Dr. Wade Fowl, I, I hate that we're out of time. I could visit with you for hours. I hate the pandemic. I haven't seen you in a few years because I haven't been going to conferences as much as I'm sure you have not either. But, And I hope to see you in 2022 later this year, maybe at a conference. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Dr. Wade Fowle of the American College. Today we've discussed retirement income planning because a greater income provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you to Chris for engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. Thank you to Wade Fowle, professor at the American College. Uh, I do want to mention quickly, I get into all of these topics at my classes. My next one is Tuesday, the next two Tuesdays, February 1st and the 8th. Get my entire class schedule uh, for the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State at my website. Go to broganfinancial.com and click on classes. Thank you for tuning in. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Have a very blessed and warm weekend.
The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.